Welcome to this episode of Women to Women podcast series. Our guest today is Erica Rooney. Erica is an executive coach and consultant, chief people officer, C-suite whisperer, wife, mom, entrepreneur, and a fitness fanatic. Creator and host of the podcast From Now to Next, she explores the limiting beliefs that keep you trapped in your own sticky floors, helps others redefine success, and chase after big and bold dreams. As a top culture expert, Erica invigorates and educates organizations through change, driving a positive experience for employees. and guiding executives through the process of change to lead a massive success. Hi Erica, welcome to Women to Women podcast. Very excited to have you here with us today. Oh, thank you so much. I am super pumped as well. Can we start with what you do today? Oh, absolutely. So, I am a chief people officer for a mid-sized e-commerce IT company called Blue Acorn ICI and we are actually owned by Infosys, which is based out of Bangalore. Uh but I handle all things people, talent acquisition, employee experience related. That's quite a title and it comes with a lot of work. <laughs> and given the last 2 years, right, with everything the covid, everybody having to work from home, our own mental wellness and the focus on you know having the work life balance given home was our work as well. I'm sure the last 2 years have been tough. So how was the last 2 years for you in this role? Oh, well, I also started this role 1 week after the quarantine started for everybody. So not only did I like step into this new role at this new company, I had to do it all remotely. So it has certainly been challenging just from a new role, new level, new role aspect of it, also learning a new industry. I had never done HR at this level inside of a tech company before, so that was new. But you're right, learning how to shift a company along with their culture that I wasn't even that familiar with yet to go completely remote during a pandemic, during the Black Lives Matter movement, right? And all the way in between, it was insane. I mean, it felt like constant drinking from the fire hose instead of the water fountain kind of like scenario all day every day. Yeah, but congratulations you made it to the other side. <laughs> I'm still standing, you know. I'm still standing. I tell people sometimes it's like I don't know how we make it through, but we absolutely do every single time, right? I've survived 100% of my bad days. So let's go back a little. So nobody comes out of high school thinking I'm going to be this big executive in HR. Like that that's not one of the fields we dream of as teenagers, right? So what was it that you wanted to do when you were in high school? I can't remember what it was in high school, but I can tell you that the first job I ever remember wanting to have was that I was going to be the head football coach for the Florida Gators. Never played football in my life. I just loved it. I loved the, the Gator team and I was like that's what I'm going to do, right? So definitely didn't think that going out of high school. I do remember when I did go into school and you know you have to pick a major. I knew that I loved to help people. Um I just didn't know what I wanted that to look like. So I actually started out in nursing and I was like I'm going to be a nurse right my mom was a nurse my grandmother was a nurse I knew it was you know reliable income it was steady it was a good job but I also just really didn't like needles and blood and guts and all the like so I very quickly realized it was not for me but so we went from football to, <laughs> to nursing to who knows what you know but it was never HR HR was never in my purview you have a lot of passion for fitness Yes, I had it that come about. So, this is actually a very interesting story because I was never on any kind of sports team in high school. I did cheerleading for a hot minute, but I never really was super into any organized sport or anything like that. 
And when I was in college, I went to the University of Florida. I was in one of my health classes and one of the local gyms came by and they actually were trying to recruit new trainers with zero experience because they needed personal trainers. So they came into our classroom. They were like, we will put you through this program. We will train you. We will mentor you. We just need people with good attitudes, people who are interested in fitness. And like, we will get you on the floor, you know, training other people in, you know, six to eight weeks. And I was like, okay, that sounds interesting. Like, why not? It's a job. I can schedule it around my classes. It'll have flexibility. So the next thing I know, I'm in a women's center. I've got a job as a personal trainer and I'm going through the entire motion of learning how to be a personal trainer, taking the certification courses, pass through all of that. And I actually realized how much I really loved fitness and I really loved helping people. So it was kind of connecting a little bit, right? Like the gears are kind of flowing here because I knew I loved helping people, but I had no idea how I just knew nursing wasn't for me. So I fell into fitness and I loved helping people meet their health and wellness goals. Um, I actually really specialized in pre and postnatal care. So I loved helping moms to be and, you know, postpartum moms, like kind of either get their body back or work through a pregnancy so that they could be healthy and strong when they had the baby. And it was just such a fulfilling passion of mine that I did that throughout the rest of my college career. And I, I made it work. I did, um, sessions before class, after class and on the weekends, but yeah, I did that all the way through grad school and it kind of helped shape my very first career out of school. And so what was your first career out of school? Oh, it's the one I stayed at the longest. So I actually was a health and wellness coordinator for Verizon. Yes. The phone company. Yes. You know, <laughs> all of that network stuff. Right. But they actually believe so much in employee health and well-being that they have on-site fitness centers in many of their large corporate offices around the United States. So I went to the University of Florida. They required us to have an internship our last semester of college. So I applied at Verizon at the time. I got a internship gig in Greenville, South Carolina at Verizon. Loved it. I mean, you just, you got to go to work. You got to teach spin classes, yoga classes, boot camp classes, do personal training, do nutrition seminars. Like you were doing all the things, health and wellness. So it was checking off all my buckets of helping people. Came back to UF, finished my master's degree, which was in, it was a master's of science in corporate health and wellness at this point. So I kind of had felt like I found my passion. I found my groove. This is what I was going to do for the end of time. And when I finished grad school, I had reached out to my old um, leader and I said, where can you give me a job? I want to work for you. I want to do this. This is what I'm so passionate about. And he actually offered me a role in uh, Murfreesboro, no, Franklin, Tennessee, Rochester, New York, or Cary, North Carolina. And I said, never heard of Franklin, Tennessee. That's out. Rochester, New York is too cold for this Florida girl. So I landed on Cary, North Carolina because I was like, it's East coast. I can get home easy if I want to. And so off I went. And so I actually worked for Verizon for almost eight years. Um, I helped implement and build their corporate wellness center. They actually did not have it on site when I first got there. So I was the very first coach on site um, and put the whole gym together, built the program from the ground up actually elevated my role into a manager position. So I helped manage 12 of the other centers around um, the United States and taught people how to do it, helped open other centers. And I just, I loved it, loved it, loved it until I couldn't grow anymore. So for somebody who's interested in this path, do you think it's something they should look at it as a career, especially if they're ambitious, they want to grow, or should that be more of a 
hobby and a side passion or a side gig where you keep fit, you still help others to keep up with their fitness goals? Like, what would your take be given what you have seen in this career path? You know, I know people who still do that. Right. And the reason that it was no longer a fit for me is that I very much have a growth mindset. Like I am not going to be satisfied at the same level for very long. I'm constantly looking for more challenges. I'm constantly looking for new opportunities and how to learn and how to grow. And in that particular role, it wasn't going to happen. That's not to say like in today's world, you can be a millionaire doing anything. I mean, kids on YouTube make $27 million opening presents, you know, like I wish I had come, but that is few and far between, right? Like, so unless you are going to be some super fitness star that somehow utilizes social media to be amazing, but there's just not that many out there, you know? So it's a great starting point. It's a great launching point. It's a super fun career. But if you are a really ambitious person and you want to constantly grow and challenge yourself, there's a really close ceiling. There's not a lot that you can do to elevate yourself. There's also not a lot of industries that you can bounce around from, especially now that COVID's hit, right? Corporate wellness was huge in a lot of headquarters all over the world, but then COVID hit, people shut down, people sold their offices. So that kind of completely went away. So, I mean, no idea what the future may hold, but for me, that was not a long-term solution. So you actually did a great pivot, right? So you saw where your key strengths were, what Mm -hmm. you were passionate about and how you could connect it with the future opportunities and your growth in career. So how did that pivot happen for corporate wellness and fitness into more of a traditional human resources role? So I will tell you, it was a lot of trial and error at first. Like I I really kind of sat on that one. And I think it's important to talk about because those answers don't come to you overnight, you know, and especially like, I always think it's so wild that right out of high school, you have to know what major you're picking and going, going straight into college. Like, how can you, you haven't done any of those things. How do you know? You know, you don't really know what's involved and you also don't really know what's out there. Um, but I knew by that point, I was very solid that I knew that I loved to help people. So I knew that whatever I did, it had to have kind of that common thread in there. So I thought about it. I looked at project management because that was very big at Verizon. So took a few classes on project management that didn't really jive with me after a while. I looked into marketing that didn't fit either. And then I really started to look into human resources and I started to network with people who were in human resource. And I started to ask them, why, why do you like this track? Right? Like, again, we said at the very beginning, it is not a glamorous job, right? It's not one we talk about like, oh, you should go to school for HR. So I just started to ask, I was like, why do you do this? And everybody kept saying, I love to help people, you know, whether they were in learning and development, whether they were in employee relations, even whether they were in onboarding, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, every single person, I saw that common thread of, I love helping people. I love serving people. So I kind of started to think like, okay, maybe this is, maybe this is an area for me, you know, and I applied, I applied to probably a hundred jobs. Like I remember I used to keep track of it and I finally gave up and I quit keeping track of it because I didn't have traditional HR experience, you know? So, and I had been eight years at Verizon, like that's a, that's a good chunk of time. So people were only viewing me as a fitness professional. So I was very stuck for a long time. So I put myself in a HR certification course and I did a couple HR management classes. So I started to get kind of those buzzwords on my resume that would be really helpful for when applying for these jobs. And I even had to take a a step back to switch careers. You know, I had to take a step back from a compensation and benefit standpoint 
for when I finally did land the interview and get the job. And I got into HR and I was very fortunate that my first HR job that I took, it was at a smaller location. So I was used to big old Verizon. Like in my location, we had like 6,000 people down to a call center environment that had maybe a hundred scale way, way down. But my leader let me touch every piece of HR because HR is a huge, huge field. And it really allowed me to realize like, what do I love about HR and what do I not love about HR? And so I was kind of, I did everything, you know, I did onboarding, I did recruiting, I did employee relations, I did benefits, I did terminations. And I was really able to scratch my itch for helping people, right? So my purpose was recognized. I was loving that I was helping people work through difficult times. Um, but I also got the experience in HR that I needed to, to break in. And sometimes that's so important. Like people hesitate to go to smaller companies, but I think you have more opportunity to really get your hands-on experience on many mm -hmm. multiple levels. Bigger companies are a lot of times siloed. You Very get into siloed. your silo and you really can't touch the other part. So that's really great um, that you got to do that. And I'm sure our listeners who are trying to get into a job and thinking this is too small, maybe that's something to look at it too. Everyone that I talked to, because after I left and, and kind of scaled the corporate ladder in HR, a lot of people from my days at Verizon reached back out and they were like, how do I do it? You know, how do I get into HR? And I absolutely said, go for the small companies reach out because those are the smaller companies. They're willing to take a chance, you know? And again, if you can land in a spot, like a lot of people say, break into HR, go through recruiting, right? And that is an avenue that you can go through. But if you can land a role at a smaller company where you have your hand in every pot, it is such a great learning experience. When you're ready to take your next role, you can take what serves you from that opportunity and you can really kind of focus where you want to go next with that. And you mentioned networking earlier, right? That's mm -hmm. how you landed your first job at Verizon. It is Absolutely. so important and mm -hmm. something that women especially are not very good at it. Either we hesitate or we have self-doubt how to proceed about it. What would your advice when networking is concerned? Networking is the most powerful tool that anyone, anyone can do to elevate their career, right? Like I truly believe that your network is your net worth, right? And I will even say that three of my jobs, two of the best ones I've ever had have all come from reaching out, cold calling, if you want to call it that, on LinkedIn to people I did not know to say, hey, do you have five minutes? I'd love to learn more about you. Because of that, I got two very high level jobs that were not even externally posted that had I applied for them just through the job website, I would not have landed, you know? And so it is so impactful and so important to start building your network now. And like LinkedIn was not around back then, you know, it was not as huge of a tool. It was really more so for straight up business professional. It's, it's kind of much more blended. It's really evolved over the years, especially too now with COVID, like everybody is networking, right? They're realizing that you don't just have to know people in your geographic location, that you can reach across, you know, the country, across the world, even to talk to people. All you have to do is this, this is the key to making a strong network is when you approach someone someone. One, show interest in them and what they're doing. And then number two, figure out how you can serve them. And I know you're probably going like, well, how can I serve these people? Like I just graduated or I have no experience or whatever. When you get to know them and you get to know what they're interested in, 
you can run across an article that you think, oh my gosh, like Divya would so love that. I need to send it to her. And you send the article and you say, hey, I saw this and I thought of you. And this is why I thought of you. But like, here's a link to the whole article if you're interested in like reading the whole thing. People love that. It's just that connection. It shows that you're listening. It shows that you remember them, that you're a person, not just a number or a connection out there on LinkedIn, right? Ask for five minutes of coffee. There is not a single person on LinkedIn that hasn't reached out to me to say, hey, I'd love to pick your brain. Do you have five minutes that I have said no to? And I will tell you this really interesting statistic that I found. But when you send a message, I'm a big fan of LinkedIn. When you send a message on LinkedIn, you are 300% more likely to get a response than on any other platform, email or social media. 300%. Amazing. That's a staggering number. When I read that, I looked at it and I said, but you're not wrong. Because I get so many, being a chief people officer, I get so many hits in my email box that if it is not related to the business, I delete it. But when I get a hit in my in-mail for my LinkedIn account that just says, hey, I'm thinking about getting into HR, I see that you're a chief people officer. Like, I'm wondering if I could pick your brain just for a few minutes. I always say yes. I don't know what it is. I don't know why they could send me that same message on link or email and I probably delete it but I respond on LinkedIn. That is true with me as well. When I get a message, I usually, if even if it's something trying to sell something, I always say, sorry, but I'm not interested at this point. I do get back to them. I don't just yeah. ignore a message. That is so true. Isn't so true. that a wild statistic? But yeah, if you can just, no matter what level you are, no matter what you're trying to do, if you look at that person's profile and you say like, hey, I just saw that you made a post about this and I thought it was so interesting. I'd love to talk to you a little bit more about it. They're most likely going to say yes, you know, or respond at some level. I just don't have the time right now. I'd love to connect at a later date, whatever it is. But if you can start to connect with these people and start to serve them in some way, shape or form, here's an article I thought of you. You know, I just love to to chat, see how I can support you. People love that. They love the connection, especially now more than ever with COVID, when everyone is remote, they love to make those connections. If you can do one thing for yourself today, even if it's something that you're really not super comfortable doing, reaching out to people you don't know, I like to call it eat the frog, just do it first thing in the morning so that you don't get stressed out about it and find one person. And I always say like, find somebody that, that has the job you want right? And reach out and just say, I love what you're doing. I'd love to learn more. Do you have five minutes? That's it. And make those connections because those are the ones that are going to get you the jobs. They're going to say, and if they don't have the job, they're going to say, Hey, you know what, Divya? I know somebody who you should talk to that whole seven degrees of Kevin Bacon. It's like, it lives on in LinkedIn, you know, but in the professional world, if you take one thing from my message today, it is to network, network, network. Great message. When, when we do network, right? You said you reach out to people. A lot of times, you know, people reach out and say, Hey, I am looking for a mentor. What, what has been your experience? Have you had mentors? Have you seeked mentors? And how did you really get those critical pieces of advice or, you know, even find those allies or sponsors in your life that really helped you move forward. Yeah, absolutely. No, a mentor. I think that everyone should have a mentor and an advocate. Those are the two or an ally, if you want to call it that. I love the term advocate, but those are the two key people that you need in your corner and they can change, you know, throughout your career as you go, as you grow. But I love to find mentors by connection is how I feel like finding mentors is the best way, right? Make connections with other people 
who can connect you to other people to say, you know what, I know somebody, they're really looking for someone to help them out. Would you mind talking to them for 10 minutes and establishing that connection, right? When you approach them from a place of servitude first, you can form those connections. People want to help. People reach out to me all the time to just say, I would love to hear how you got to where you are, or I have a few questions. Do you have a little bit of time? And then we have a quick 10, 15 minute chat. You know, if it's an engaging one and I know that they care and they're doing their due diligence, you know, I say, reach back out to me anytime. And when they do that repetitive reaching out and connecting is what creates that relationship. If you just reach out to somebody and you're like, Hey, can you be my mentor? They're likely going to say, Oh, you know, I'm kind of busy. Things are full. I got a lot going on, but just start to cultivate that relationship over time. And those mentorships will form organically. The advocate relationship is a much harder one to kind of come across. That's typically someone that you are working with. I was very fortunate in that I had an advocate before I even knew really what an advocate in the workplace was, you know, and it's only now sitting where I am. Do I realize that like, wow, he had my back. You know, and what that was, was it was a VP in my group and he always brought me to the meeting that I needed to be at, even if I wasn't at the level to be there yet, right? He put me in front of the people that I needed to know. He brought me to the dinners, right? He did all of these things to get my face out there and to start, he was so strategic at it too. Like I didn't even realize what he was doing at the time. Until one day when he was the VP and he was actually leaving the role to go take a different role in the company. And and we had a meeting in, in his office and he said, Erica, you need to apply for my role. And I looked at him like, you are absolutely crazy because there's, I'm not a VP level. I'm nowhere near a VP level. I report to a director. He's going to apply for the role. Like I am not applying. And he said, you're not applying to get the job, Erica. You're applying to get in front of the people who need to see what you're doing. And I was like, oh, you know, that's what I kind of realized. I was like this game of chess almost. He's like, you're not doing, but by you applying, by you interviewing, you're showing them that you want to grow. You're showing them that you have ideas. You're getting out of your comfort zone and you are getting in front of the people that you need to be in front of. He's like, it's not about getting the job. This is a new strategy. But I would never have done that if I did not have him as my advocate. You know, that is so it's so strategic, right? Like that's that's strategic thinking. That's next level strategy, you know. And but I love that, and I love him for that because that one thing alone has opened my mind up to so many different like thought processes when I'm mentoring other people and when I'm bringing them up or when I'm considering, do I say yes to this or do I say no to this? Like, it just makes me think a little bit more about the long game, you know, about things that we might not think about, especially too, as women, like women don't apply to the job until they meet hundred percent of the criteria. Men apply when they meet 60%, you know? So it is so critical to remember, like you got to get out of your own way with some of these things. But when you are early in your career and you are still learning and figuring all this out, like you don't know this stuff. So it's so important to have an advocate in your corner to put you in those places. But you mentioned a lot of times we kind of hold ourselves back, right? Mm. We, we are our own roadblocks. Being in your role, have you seen certain kind of trends or habits that women have that really hold us back? Yes. Yeah, so I'm glad you brought that up. So I work with all sorts of women. And my biggest thing is it's not necessarily the glass ceiling that holds us back, but it's our own sticky floors. And those sticky floors can be limiting beliefs such as imposter syndrome. I'm not good enough. I'm not qualified enough. I don't have as much experience as this person. 
to perfectionism, right? And when people think of perfectionism, they think about the person who has to have everything perfect. That's not always perfectionism. Perfectionism can be in certain areas of our life, right? Like you may throw out an email with a million errors and be fine with it. But if you have some other sort of presentation or something, you may never even let it see the light of day because you're worried it's never going to be correct or perfect. With women in particularly, what I have seen and what I'm continuing to see is knowing your worth and realizing what your worth is. And that is where I am really seeing a lot of my executive level women that I'm talking to. I mean, C-suite level people, SAPs, VPs, they all say that their sticky floor is knowing their worth, whether that means compensation or accepting roles, you know, and responsibilities within their job, whether to speaking up in a room full of men who are very dominant, like that is where I've seen women and continue to see women really struggling is knowing their own worth. And do you think we can develop a few other habits that help us? Like I know one is definitely build that network, seek out people that can really help you or guide you what they have already done and how you can like drafting. Yeah. For lack of a better word, they've already made the way. Just draft with them. You know, why are you again charting to make your own way when it's they already have set the path? Are there certain things that we can do better? There are oh, right, only two or three. You're limiting me here. <laughs> sorry, sorry. No, go for it. Go for it. No, no, no. I mean, I think networking is the biggest thing. And I think self-awareness is another thing, right? Because when you become more aware of your actions or lack thereof and how that is holding you back, you can absolutely challenge yourself to do the hard things. I don't know who coined the term take messy action, but it is about taking messy action. It's about doing the thing before you feel like you're ready, because guess what? We're never always ready. It's never going to be perfect. So I always tell my people to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Why networking plays such a big key in that is because they're your supporters. They're your tribe. They're your huddle, right? They're going to be able to tell you, this is good. You're doing the right thing. You're taking the right steps. They're going to be able to give you the confidence that you need to drive forward. You just have to be the one to initiate the first step. I'll use one of my own little stories for this one. I have my own podcast and I love doing it. I love connecting with women, but I sat on that idea for maybe six to nine months. I was so concerned about what people would think of me. I've never done one before. It's not going to be any good. Who's going to listen to me? I mean, a million limiting beliefs flying through my head. And then I kind of had that moment where I was like, okay, Erica, you, you are the only thing that is in your own way right now. What's the best case scenario? You love doing it. You connect with amazing women and you impact other people. You know, what's the worst thing that could happen? It sucks. Okay. So then guess what? You start, you do something else, but like, that's the worst thing that could happen is that it's not that great. Okay. So you tried something and it didn't work, but I still sat on that whole thing for six to nine months until I finally sat down on my computer and I emailed about five to 10 of the strongest women that I knew in my circle. And I said, this is what I want to do. Do I have your support? Can you support me? Do you think a single one said no? No, I'm sure they're all ecstatic to be part of it. A hundred percent, you know? So it took me though, reaching out to my tribe and putting it out there because I couldn't go back after that. I couldn't turn it around, you know? But reaching out to them for that support, getting out of my own way, you know? So when you can really bring that self-awareness in, get out of your own way and then pull on your tribe and your, your team for support. Like you can go so much farther. So let's talk a little bit about your podcast. So what is the podcast? How can the listeners get access to it? 
Sure. So it's on all your normal Apple, Spotify, all your podcast platforms. You can find it on my website, which is called from now to next.org. But the podcast itself is called from now to next. And it is interviews just like this one, but with other women in leadership roles, talking about their sticky floor stories, what those are and how they break through them. Right. And how we're still dealing with them because we are never truly out of our own sticky floors. We just become more aware of what those sticky floors are. None of us got to these leadership roles, like on a unicorn flying over the rainbow. There have been some really tragic, ugly stories, you know, people had to get divorced, people had to go through terminations, you know, people got in their own ways. There's a lot of really hard stories. Like these are not beautiful stories, but what's beautiful is how they work through them. And that's the transformation piece of it. And I would encourage anyone who kind of feels like, how do I get there? How will I ever get through this? It's not for me. This podcast is for you. (laughs) But I literally have women that call me and they're like, Thank you for reaching out, Erica, but like, I'm not through my sticky floor. So I don't think I'm the right person for this podcast. And I'm like, that means you absolutely are the right person. You know, we are all in our sticky floors. It's just a matter of how do we work through them? We also talked a little bit about family, right? We Mm -hmm. women feel very responsible. How did you handle those, um, you know, high demand job and a young family? How did that work out for you? A lot of troubleshooting. Because I do, I've got two kids and I've got young kids. I've got a four-year-old and a seven-year-old, you know? So I started this job when I had a two-year-old, right? Like those are crazy baby ages, you know? And it's been a challenge and I love being a mom. Like I love being a hands-on mom. I love doing all the things and it's because it brings me joy, right? Is it easy? Absolutely not. I would say too, I'm guilty of the traditional gender roles in my marriage a lot of the times, right? And it's because I like it that way. Like I like being the one who takes them to bed every night. I like being the one that takes them to school and helps them with their homework, but it can be really hard sometimes, you know? So I say troubleshooting because I mean, my husband and I had to have a lot of troubleshooting in our marriage to be like, okay, I have to know when to ask for help and how to ask for help. And I also have to be able to allow him to help. Talking about sticky floor, that was a sticky floor of mine is allowing him to help when I was being too overloaded. I do believe that there is balance and that you can have it all with motherhood and with a high powered job. You just may have to miss out on some things. And this is being very, like, I don't mean that in a bad way, shape or form, but like, I don't go to my every baseball practice that my son has. I just don't. Number one, I'm going to be real honest. I don't love going to the baseball practices every time. But number two, like I go to the important things. And I actually had another, a female mentor tell me this one time. She said, are the moments that you are spending with your child more about quantity or about quality? And that's what really made the change for me. When I started thinking about how can I, how can I truly do all of this? I can't be a great chief people officer and do every mom thing there is, right? I miss some of the events that go on in the middle of the workday at school because I'm working. I don't pick him up every single day from school. I have a network of people that help me with that. Sometimes my mom picks them up for me. I carpool with the neighbors. So sometimes they do it, but I do try to do the things that in my opinion, will be the things that they remember, right? So I do tuck them into bed every single night and we read books. And to me, that's quality. To me, when they grow up, they're going to do that with their kids and it's going to be important to them. Is my son going to remember that I didn't go to every single baseball practice? Absolutely not. But I go to the games when I can. And I make it a habit too, to let them see me work. 
right? So, I mean, in the very beginning, I don't know, you may have seen my kid be bopping around in the background. I like them to see me working because I want my son to know that women can have high powered jobs and be a mom and a wife and do all the things. And I want my daughter to see too, that she can do whatever the heck she wants to do, you know, and she can have these high power jobs and do all the things as well. I know I'm fortunate that I can be at home and I work remote. So that's helpful too, but you absolutely can do it all. Showing by example, have you ever faced any perceptions about women at work or in other places? Yeah. So it's, it's actually interesting. In my last role, I did a lot of global travel. I would be gone for like two weeks at a time. That's very hard because back then I had like an infant. Leaders would ask me how I'm going to balance work and like home and work. And I'm like, did you ask the men who are going on this trip, how they're going to balance home and work? Probably not, you know? And I even had to face that from from family being like, you can be away from your kids for that long. They would have never asked my husband that they'd have been like, okay, bye. You know, you're going to leave the kids with him for that long. Like how's everybody going to survive? They'll figure it out, you know? So absolutely have definitely gone through some of those issues at work. For me, what I personally have experienced has been more around balancing work and being a mom. I will also say one of the things that I know to be a very sad reality is being invited to some of the tables for how I looked, not of my contributions of my brain, which I think being a woman that happens a lot. There was actually a research study that was just pushed out. I'll send you the information on it, but it talked about the most admired trait in a man is honesty. And the most admired trait in a female is how she looks. Wow. Right. It, I mean, mind boggling to me, mind boggling that we are still having to deal with that. Right. But there's a thing called pretty privilege, right? That the people who are more attractive get better raises. They get invited to the table more. But like, what happens when you get invited to the table just for because of how you look and not because of what you think? And you have to fight even harder to show that you actually can contribute in that way. So those have been some of the challenges that I think that I have experienced as a, as a female in the workplace that I've had to fight against. You know, I don't think we're going to solve for them overnight, but I definitely think it's important to bring light to them and to work against them when you can. Yep. So before we close, I do, do want to know anything that's very unique about you that nobody else knows. People definitely know this. They know I'm a runner, but they don't know. Most people do not know that I complete two half marathons in different states every year. And I've been doing that for a few years because it satisfies my love for travel and it satisfies my love for fitness. <laughs> and I get to make the excuse to take trips every year to do just that. That's so awesome. And you also have a very unique family. I do. So y'all, if you even try to draw my poor child had to draw family tree for school last week. And I think he just, he was ready to walk out, right? My kid is seven years old. He has to draw this family tree. So my husband and I are married. So that's easy. My husband's parents are married. So that's easy. But I have six parents. And you're like, Erica, that's not even possible. But I do. I have six parents. And that's because my biological parents got divorced when I was very, very young, when I was like two years old. And they both remarried when I was very, very young. So I grew up only ever having two sets of parents, right? Everybody always knew I had four parents. And then when I was in about high school, my dad and my stepmother separated and they have both since remarried. And so there goes out to two, four, six parents. And so every time I try to tell people like, this is how many parents I have. And my poor kid has to write his family tree. Like, I'm sure I confuse the heck out of his teachers are probably wondering what is going on in the Rooney household 
but we have a very expansive family tree. It has definitely posed its challenges at times when we're trying to figure out who sits next to who at the wedding and who gets to come for what holiday, but it is more people to love. And I do feel like my kids are so blessed because they have so many grandparents that love them. So in closing, Erica, any final comments? This, this was such pleasure. And thank you so much for all the great advice today that you shared with our listeners. Oh my gosh. It's but like, it always amazes me how fast an hour with you will go by, but it is such a joy talking with you. And I think if I could leave anything with the listeners, it would be to just do it scared, just fake it till you make it, do it scared because the worst thing that could happen is usually not that bad. And that itself is priceless advice. <laughs> Thank you so much, Erica. Thank you so much for your time. All the advice. Really appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much, Divi. It was such a joy and I love the work that you're doing.